This message was given at Campus Fellowship's 2021 Winter Retreat in Estes Park, Colorado by Jacob Vansickle, pastor of Sacred City Church in Providence, Rhode Island. The theme of the conference was discern, how to discern God's will for your life. We hope you find this encouraging. saw that movie, I was at my grandparents' house. Contrary to popular belief, I was not born when that movie came out, okay? I was at my grandparents' house, sitting on their bed, probably eating almonds and chili, because that's always what I was fed at my grandparents' house. And it was magical. You know, every movie I'd seen up to that point was all in color, but there was something about it going from black and white, and then she opens the door, and boom. It's in color. And you just get transported into this magical world. And you can see clearly. And I look at Dorothy, and I look at a lot of my life and a lot of the stories that have inspired me and so many others, and I think so much of us want to be rescued from the mundane. You just think of Dorothy. She's singing about being taken to somewhere over the rainbow in somewhere in the middle of Kansas. And I was born in Kansas, so I can say, it's like, I can understand, it's like she's longing for something and then she gets transported away into another place. She's rescued from the mundane. I think of other storylines that inspire us. Poor kid from North Carolina, gets cut from his high school team, goes on to be the best basketball player of all time. Michael Jordan, the last dance. Which is very similar to the other storyline of a poor kid from Ohio who grows up to be the second best basketball player of all time. <laughs> or, or you have storylines, like I've mentioned before in previous talks, if you're, you're just a poor kid living in your aunt and uncle's house underneath the stairs, Everybody, pick, everybody picks on you, and then you become a wizard, okay? It's like, and not just any wizard, the most important wizard ever. Or if you think about any Lord of the Rings people here, a lot of them, okay? If you think about it, Frodo is kind of lame, okay? And then he's rescued from the mundane. He's given a mission. He's given a burden to carry. He's given something to be a part of. Every single one of us desires that. And when God comes and he says, I love you and I cherish you and I'll save you. And not only that, I'll not only save you from your sin and from hell. I will save you from the mundane life that you're living. Isn't that amazing? That is made. It's like you open the door and you see in full color. What a life. But I think oftentimes if we just ended the conference and said, go change the world, 
Oftentimes, in our culture, particularly in America, we would go and we'd run really fast and we'd just face plant and not finish the race because we heard it as a command to me as an individual, not as a command to a people to accomplish a mission as a group, <coughs> as a community. Because looking back at those storylines, Frodo was lame, but then he was surrounded by non-lame people to accomplish the mission. <laughs> that was like... And yes, Michael Jordan was the best, but you have Scotty Pippen putting up points every game, Rodman hitting the board, Steve Kerr hitting the threes. He's surrounded by an epic team. And then, Dorothy, you have the Tin Man, and the Scarecrow, and the Cowardly Lion, and the dog. It's like, you, know, you, you have a team around close, intimate relationships. I was recently at a, a conference of, it was 150 church planters in Atlanta, Georgia. And we were together, and it was just awesome just to talk to all these different church planters and hear people that are kind of a, a few steps ahead, just all the hardships of starting a church and how it goes. And we're in the cafeteria, and I look across the cafeteria, and I see Pastor Ed Kang. Does anybody know who Pastor Ed Kang is? I wasn't expecting anyone. So maybe one person. Okay. And, you know, some people, like, dream about meeting LeBron James or dream about meeting, you know, I don't know, Britney Spears or something. It's like, it's like, you just have, like, for me, it's like, Pastor Ed Kang is here. <laughs> it's like, and he, he leads a church called Grace Point Church, and they plant churches by college campuses. And last year, get this, they sent out 400 people to plant churches. And they raised them all up from within their local church. You know, you, you hear about stories of churches doing that, and almost always it's some sort of like pipeline from like a Bible college or something. It's like, no, 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 they're actually like reaching people on campus and then just sending them out. And, and I was like so hoping to meet him. It, it does, the story doesn't end with me meeting him, but it ends with me listening to him speak. <laughs> I was looking for an opportunity just creepily in the back, and it didn't, it didn't come. <laughs> but he, he went and he, he gave a talk and I'm like this is why this is why he is leading a movement like that because this is a, a quote I don't know it verbatim so I'm going to come back here and read it this is what he says he said maybe our desire for mission now he's saying this to a group of church planners a group of people that have signed on and like okay we're going to be on mission we're going to reach the world he says maybe our desire for mission and accomplishment is actually a desire for genuine community. He says, yes, we want to be safe in the mundane? Certainly. <coughs> He's like, but in my experience, a lot of those people that decide to move and decide to do something, a lot of it is not just a desire to accomplish something. It's a desire to do it with people that you love. To link arms with people. And to say, let's do it together. And he said that, and I started to think back to my own experiences. And I'm like, that is so true. And I think it's always been true. You look at Acts, it's always been true. <coughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to read 
Acts 13, verses 1 through 2. And we're going to ask this simple question. Should I make decisions alone? And I'll give you the answer. No. Okay. But why no? Why, why should you not make decisions alone? First, let's read Acts 13, 1 through 2. And we'll launch from there. This is what it says. Now there were in the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would guide us tonight one last time. Help us to see the truth of your word. Help us to believe it, to trust it. And God, I pray that we can link arms with the people next to us to do something on our campuses for your glory and your fame. Amen. So here are the things we're going to look at tonight. Three transitions we need to make. So I, it, I want you to think of it as our culture is kind of over here, and we need to shift to be over here. Okay? So here's the three shifts. From signs to the spirit, from individualistic to interconnected, and from lonely to loving. From signs to the spirit, from individualistic to interconnected, and from lonely to loving. Here's the first one. From signs to the spirit. So I've been getting to know some of the, the local pastors, moving to the area. I'm getting to know some of the local pastors in Rhode Island. And I uh, take one out to lunch. His name's Kyle. And we're just instantly just friends. You know, it's like, you know, you, you sit down with somebody and you just, we're on the same page. And talking about ministry, talking about the struggles of ministry, laughing. And at, towards the end of the conversation, we start to joke about how Christians make decisions. And I think he brought it up. It just naturally just came up. And we were just laughing how, you know, it's like you'll hear somebody say, you know, I saw a license plate. And, and then you wouldn't believe it. I saw another license plate. And we were just laughing, laughing, laughing. He was like, you know what? They might as well go to a palm reader. That would be probably more. <laughs> it's like, okay, so that I was, we got done there. And we drove back to his church. And then I wanna, went on to meet with this guy I've been reading the Bible with. Okay? Go. Traffic's crazy. I come in like 10 minutes late. Sit down. And he's like, you would not believe what happened. And I'm like, what? What happened? He's like, let me show you. Let me show you. He pulls out his phone, shows me a picture of a license plate. <laughs> Slides it. No, no, no. Another license plate. Utah. I'm moving to Utah. No joke. Right after that conversation. And I'm like, no. He's like, and seriously, he's moving to Utah. He's, he's moving to Utah right now. Look at your condos. You know, it's like... And that's kind of an extreme, kind of serendipitous 
example, but Christians do it all the time. God, give me a sign. Give me a sign. And they're looking all over the place, you know, looking at the shapes of clouds and looking at, it's like, what, what's different than looking at t the shape of tea leaves than that? Or looking at the things that are in your palm and the direction of your, it's really not that different. You know, I don't think that God can't use signs to lead his people. He obviously does. Like throughout the Bible, he, he uses physical signs to lead his people. But Christians, don't water them down. Don't water them down. Imagine yourself in heaven. You're having a conversation with Moses, Abraham, and Jacob. You know, And they're, they're like, oh, I heard when you were back on earth, you were telling people that God led you through a sign. What was your sign? Mine was a burning bush, and Jacob's was a, a ladder that went up to heaven. And, and Abraham... Um, God appeared to him in this like flaming pot thing and then spoke audibly and showed him the stars. What was yours? You know, like um, a Chinese fortune cookie. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, does God lead in signs? Certainly. A burning bush that's engulfed in flames and not cons consumed and speaking to you? followed by throwing a staff on the ground and it turning into a snake and you picking it back up and it turns back into a staff? Yes, he does. But don't water it down. Don't turn that kind of stuff into a bumper sticker. Now, how could we expect God to lead? How can we look back at Acts 13? We see a church together. And I love this verse because we see all the culmination of things. We see them obeying the commands of God. They're fasting and they're praying together. Okay, they got that right. It's like God commanded us to fast and pray, and they're fasting and they're praying together. They're obeying God's commands. And then the Holy Spirit leads them. It wasn't their own like motives of like, let's really just do something. The Holy Spirit led them. And then, the Holy Spirit leads them to accomplish a purpose. Set apart Paul and Barnabas to go. And what they went and did is they went and planted churches, particularly among the Gentiles. <coughs> the commands, new Holy Spirit motives, and goals, a mission right here. But it's not within an individual it's within a community. And if you go back and you read through Acts, there's, yeah, there's certainly sometimes that God directs an individual to do something, you know. Um, Philip going to the Ethiopian eunuch is a good example. Go to that chariot. It's just one guy. Go to the chariot. But usually, typically, it's within a context of God's people. Loving each other. Obeying God. Now, we will often, as I've mentioned before, we will often look at the commands of God and individualize it, individualize it. But we will miss out on what God is doing if we do that. I want to give a little bit of a highlight of the Church of Antioch. It's a really amazing thing. Because not only do you see these three perspectives of, of what they're kind of doing, 
But if you look at the names of their leaders, I'll, re- I'll reread them. It says, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, and then Saul, also called Paul. And if you do some research on these names, you'll find that these leaders were very diverse. So Barnabas, we know from Acts 4.36, was born on the island of Cyprus. This island just in the Mediterranean, born in the island of Cyprus. And then Simeon, who's called Niger, Niger means black, it means he was probably from sub-Saharan Africa, maybe Ethiopia, we don't know for sure. And then you have Lucian from Cyrene, which is in modern-day Libya, which is just off of the Mediterranean, uh, just west of Egypt. And then you have... uh, Let's see, I'm I'm like, Lucius, no, Manian, the lifelong friend, Manian, the lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, which means, you know, if he's in the circles with Herod, he would have been very wealthy, very well-to-do, upper in the echelons of society. And then you have Saul, Jewish scholar, turned church persecutor, turned crazy missionary for Jesus, okay? That's a very diverse group of people coming together and praying and leading out. And we know from Acts 11 that the Christians in Antioch, you know the name Christian? We all know the name Christian, right? You know where it came from? It came from Antioch in Acts 11. They were first called Christians in Antioch. And the reason why they were first called Christians in Antioch is because Antioch was a very diverse city. It was like a hub of trade. Going from Rome all the way out to China, a hub of trade. Very diverse. And up to that point, Christianity was just kind of this weird Jewish thing. It was a sect of Judaism, and we could just call them weird Jews. You know, it's like that's what we could call them. They're just a different sect of Judaism. But in Antioch, you couldn't say that. Because because you had all these different types of people following Jesus and worshiping Jesus together. And they had to come up with a different name. Christians. Different backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, different races, all coming together. I heard from one person, I I haven't been able to find if this was... um, like a citation for this, so take it with a grain of salt. I heard that Antioch was split up with, with walls in the city to split up the groups of people, and not just walls around the city to protect the city. And then the Christians, for the first time, were going across into different parts of the city and com- coming together. You know, again, I haven't found the citation, but it sounds good. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, we know that they were coming together in loving one another. <coughs> Have you ever looked at some of the, your friends in Christian community and thought, I would never be their friends if it wasn't for Jesus? <laughs> it's like, somebody, I've had that experience. And that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. Once sat down, uh, on Drake's campus with a student. And he's like, I just don't get it. Like, why can't I just have friends based off of what I like, not just because we're on mission together, on our Bible study or whatever. And I'm like, 
okay, what is deeper as far as a deep relationship? Like two people liking basketball or two people loving the creator of the universe? Which one are we going to base our relationships off of? You're going to have deeper relationships with deeper loves. And you see in the church of Antioch, deep, deep love for God, breaking down all of these barriers that separate people, coming together, and God leads them. It's a move of the Spirit. So, none of the superstitious sign stuff, okay? If it's a burning bush that's talking, thumbs up on that, okay? It's like, okay, I'd be for that. But don't water it down. Be led by the Spirit in a real, genuine community. Where it's, you look around, it's like, God has to be in this. The next one is this. From individualistic to interconnected. In my other grandparents' house, okay, Wizard of Oz is what I'd watch it on my mom's side. On my father's side, it was westerns. So John Wayne, all these westerns, okay? And basically, this is the, the general theme of a western, okay? Guy rides into town, and he is awesome. He looks good, his horse looks good, he's really good at shooting, and he rides into a town full of losers, okay? And they have some problem that it doesn't matter, everybody in the town is trying to solve, but they just cannot solve it, okay? So maybe there's some bandits or something, or maybe there's some people just stealing cows, or, you know, it's like, or, uh, like, picking on people, or... Maybe there's some, some of the natives are attacking some of the... It's, like, it's always like the town has a problem and they cannot solve it. And this individual rides in on his horse, sees the problem, and single-handedly defeats the enemy. And of course, like the most beautiful woman in the town falls for him because all the other guys are losers, so he, she loves him. But then, defeats the enemy, wins the girl, and how does it end most of the time? He rides off into the sunset. With people? No. Alone. That American storyline has worked its way into a lot of our thinking. And if we're not careful, you know, you'll be one of saved from the mundane on missions. If you're not careful, that's the way you'll view God's mission. You'll ride into a college campus. <laughs> you know, I'm here to solve all your problems. <laughs> you'll solve them, and you'll ride off into the sunset alone. That is not how God works. That's not how He works. He works within communities. He works in communities. There's a study done uh, by a guy named Hofstede. It's called the Hofstede Dimensions, if you want to look it up. And he, he looks at all these different cultures and he puts them on a scale. Uh, guess which one is number one? Number one for individualism. You have collectivism, you have individualism. Which one is number one? Mer America. Yeah, right. yeah, that's right. 
America, we're number one, okay? This is when we started chant, number one, number one, okay? It's like, America, number one. I think if we're going to live genuine community, genuine community, there are going to be times you're like, oh man, this is just too much. This is just too much. And you have to remind yourself that from the day you were born, you have been raised in the most individualistic culture on the planet. Ever. Okay? It... So it's like when people start slinging words and accusations of like, this is just, that's just too much. Remind yourself, is it? If I was from Korea, would I think that? If I was from Malaysia, would I think that? Is that if I was from 13th century North Africa, would I think that was too much? Because we're so, so brainwashed by our culture, to be an individual. I sat down for coffee with a student. He said, if I have the Holy Spirit, if I have the Holy Spirit, why do I need to seek counsel? Like, I have, I have the Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. Why do I need to seek counsel? And what's the answer? Other people have the Holy Spirit, too. Other people have the Bible, too. This is what it says in Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. If you refuse to live life in community, and just be a lone ranger, cowboy, Christian. You will be a fool. Are you saying that it's like, if I did, don't see counsel about decisions, that I, I'm necessarily in sin? No, I'm not, you might be in sin, but I wouldn't say you're necessarily in sin. I'm just saying you're necessarily stupid. <laughs> a fool. Fools don't ask for directions. They don't ask people for input. Wise people do. Smart people do. This is, a, is seen throughout Proverbs. Here's another proverb. Proverb 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. It comes down to this. Humility. Do you really think that you know what is right all the time? Do you really think that you know the right direction to take every single time? Now, I know every single one of you, if you were asked that, if that was like on a Scantron, you know, true or false, you would know which, which little circle to fill. You know, it's like you'd get the answer right, but functionally, in your life, do you? It's like, do, when you are seeking out decisions, does it show? Or from the outside, does it look like you actually just think you have it all together? And that you have some faculties that everyone else doesn't have, and nobody can speak into it. Here's another proverb. Proverb 19, 20-21. Listen to counsel and accept discipline. 
that you may be wise the rest of your days. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord's will, but the counsel of the Lord's of the Lord will stand. Okay, so he connects to he connects two things: listen to counsel and discipline, and then the plans of man man's heart that will be led by the Lord's counsel. Okay, they're connected on purpose. It's not like you can have God's leading and you can have counsel over here and they're two separate tracks. Counsel is a way that God leads his people. They're on the same track. It's not either or, it's a both and. They're both on the track of following God. Meaning he hasn't made your life. He hasn't led you. You remember how we were talking about God producing desires within us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, built into that is God producing it and being confirmed by other people. Have you ever been around someone who thinks they're really, really good at something and they're not good at it at all? Today, I was at, uh, in the cabin with some of my uh, kids who aren't feeling as well. That's why you haven't seen them running around. Some of them aren't feeling as well. And Jack was playing basketball with Trey, okay? And Sasha came back, and she, I don't know if this is how you'd report it, but she was like, Jack was just trying to teach Trey how to play basketball the entire time. <laughs> and he's one of those guys, my little six-year-old son is one of those guys, it's like, it's, no, I'm the expert. You know, let me show you. Let me show you how to do it. It's like, you are six. It's like, you don't know anything. It's like, and he's going to need to learn that lesson over and over and over again. It's like, that's the lesson we need to learn. But what is cute in a six-year-old, you're like, oh, that's kind of funny. He's six. It's like painful when they're 20 or when they're 30 or 40. When you're around someone, it's like, they really think they're the smartest person in the room. And I'm pretty sure they might be the dumbest person in the room. It's like, it's like, it's like it is so painful. When you don't seek counsel, that's what you're doing. You're putting yourself in that place. This is the next thing, Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Here's the next one, Proverbs 15, 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise guidance, you will wage war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. (coughs) See the common thread? Abundance of counselors. Wise people seek advice everywhere. Now, here, here are a few pointers of how to seek out advice from other people. How to live in community and seek out advice from other people. Okay, here's the first one. Seek advice from everybody. That's for, it's, not on, it's not on the slide. So you're just going to have to really listen. Okay? Seek advice from everybody. There is not a single person in the room right now that doesn't have some tidbit of wisdom to offer you. Not a single person. Remember, um, one of the guys that disciple me, John Crane, he's like, I want to be the type of Christian that no matter how 
mature I get, that I'm willing to learn from the most immature believer. They share a verse, and you're like, oh yeah. It's like, we need to be a people. Every single person. We don't write anyone off. Because you know what? God doesn't write anyone off. And if they have the word of God, and if they have the spirit, and even if they don't, even if, by God's common grace, even unbelievers have a lot of wisdom that we can learn from. Learn from everyone. You're on the airplane, you're talking to someone, learn. You're meeting with a coworker, learn. They're five years down the, down the road from you, learn. They're under your leadership, learn. That's the best way you're gonna learn how to lead, is those who are following you. Hey, what's hard about following me? Learn from everyone. Second is learn from the wise. Learn from the wise. Hebrews 13, 7 talks about obeying your leaders. And it says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's Hebrews 13, 7. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Meaning you want to put yourself under leaders in which you look at their life and you're like, yeah, I'd go for that. I, like they're going in the general direction I want to go. And I want to imitate their faith. The whole Christian life is a life of imitation. We imitate Christ, first and foremost. We imitate those who are wise within the church. And then we set an example for other people to imitate. So go to those who say, okay, that guy, he's 10, 15 years ahead of me. His kids don't hate him. I'm going to ask him how to parent. You know, that guy, he knows the scriptures. That woman, she knows the scriptures way better than I do. I'm going to ask her how she spends time with the Lord. I want to ask him how he studies the Word of God. What, is, what do you do? What, is your, what do your spiritual disciplines look like? Look at who's wiser than you. And back to getting advice from everybody, there are some people that generally you might be more wise than, but they're in one area, they're just leagues ahead of you. Be humble enough to ask about that one area. Okay? Seek out wisdom from the wise. The next one is this, from peers who see your life. Here's the thing, um, when you lead within a church, if you're a pastor or you're a college ministry director, people come and they ask you advice all the time. And what people don't tell you when they ask you advice are all the details. You know, usually they can pack like this little like kind of argument of, hey, I'm seeking advice. Here's this little prepackaged thing. So over the years, I learned, I'm like, hey, what does your roommate think about this? And to ask that, because I know the roommate sees their day to day. I do not see their day to day. You know, so they're asking me, should I drop a class? I don't know. I'm just super stressed out. Should I drop a class? It's just too much for me. I don't know. It's like, oh, yeah, sure. I don't, it's like, you know, I'm trying to figure that out. But their roommate's like, dude, you play four hours of Call of Duty every day. It's like, turn it off and read the textbook. It's the, the people around you see things that oftentimes someone that's more wise but has more distance does not see. Be humble enough to ask the people around you that actually see your life. And even, not just in making decisions, like I have a big decision coming up, 
I'm seeking advice for this decision. I think it's good just to ask people in general, hey, you see my life, and I want you to know you can say whatever you want, and I will not be offended. You, you can just say anything. And I'll consider it, it says the kisses of a friend, or it says the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. I'm just asking for a kiss, friend. <laughs> not a real kiss, bro. Okay, but it's like, like just some, what do you see in my life? What do you see in my life that you think could change to be more like Jesus? Are you humble enough to ask that? And to ask it of someone who you think might actually have something to say? <laughs> we all have those like, you know, you know, like puff reporters, you know, puff piece reporters. You know, Republicans have them, Democrats have them, and they just write puff pieces for their side constantly. We all have those reporters in our life that if we just want a thumbs up, we'll go to them and it'll be awesome. You know, they're like, yeah, you're just the best person ever. Just do whatever you're doing. You know, it's like, go and seek out people that might actually say something to you. Peers that see and might say something. Next, from a variety of giftings and personalities. From a variety of giftings and personalities. Seek out advice from people that are very, very different from you. Okay? We all know those people. It's like you're having a meeting and it's like, man, I feel like we're both speaking English, but you might as well be speaking Chinese because I have no idea what you're saying. And it's not because, like, the, uh, and a communication issue. It's just you view the world so differently. You might even be very mature Christians. You just view the world differently. I used to view people that were different from me, like that, as an inconvenience. <coughs> and when I started to learn that it's like, actually, they're my greatest asset, when it comes to making decisions, when it comes to leading, when it comes to working on a team, they will round me out. It made such an impact on my life. If you can start seeing people's differences and lean into their differences, I know this is my blind spot. I'm always going to run in this. This way, can you speak into this? It will save you a lot of pain. And it will make you a good leader. It will enable you to lead a group of people. Because people want to be understood even through those differences. The last one is this. Read books. Read books. Do you know, you know C.S. Lewis... John Knox, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, John Calvin, all the Johns, okay, <laughs> throughout history. You know, wouldn't it be great if you could get coffee with them and just pick their brain? Wouldn't that be great? But you know you can't, right? Because they're dead, okay? <laughs> you can't do that. You can't say, you know what, I'm just going to go get coffee with Frederick Douglass today. You know, it's like, no, it doesn't work. He's dead. But he wrote books. He wrote books. C.S. Lewis has a great article about reading old books. And he says, we would have the same benefit of reading books from the future. But alas, we can't. But by reading books from the past, we can take ourselves out of our current cultural moment and have a conversation with someone across the world in a completely different culture. You can pick up St. Augustine's 
It's Augustine, not Augustine, just so you know. St. Augustine's Confessions, and read it. He wrote it almost 1,500 years ago in North Africa. Okay, you're separated by 1,500 years. You're separated by a, uh, an ocean, languages, and you're reading it, and it can change your life. You can seek counsel from St. Augustine. And one of the encouraging things will be is you're reading it, and you're like, wow, that's true. You know, I'm living that right now. And then he'll, he'll come and say something like, oh, that's from left field. I didn't see that one coming. It will help you and shape you. Does it mean that everyone in the past was right about everything? No. But they, may, they might be right in an area that we are currently wrong. And it can help balance you out. Seek counsel. Don't be just an individual, but be interconnected within God's body. The last point is this. From lonely to loving. From lonely to loving. There was a study done over 80 years. It's pretty incredible. 80 years on Harvard students. Now, obviously, they weren't at Harvard the entire time. <laughs> like, they're the worst students ever. I mean, it's like, they, they decided to track a class of Harvard students over 80 years and study their life. And they had a lot of different measurements of studying those, those students. And one of the things that they tried to measure was their health and their general happiness. Like, were they satisfied with their life? And they saw in both of those two things, health and happiness, there was one correlating thing between all of them. You want to guess what it was? Close relationships. Close relationships. <coughs> they had people that they could lean on. They had longevity in relationships within their families. They had close relationships. Studies are currently showing, and I know the jury's still out, that right now, at least, Gen Z is the most lonely generation yet. This is, it was like 10, uh, I don't know if I can remember off the time I had, it was like, I think it was like 10% less as far as lonely levels, however they study that, that kind of stuff, less than the greatest generation who's currently dying off. And that's saying something, because most of them have lost almost all of their friends. We need to regain the ability to have close relationships, to know others, and to be known by others. Now, there's a lot of ways to go about doing, there, doing that, but here's just one. And that's in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. This is what it says. Now, there are a variety varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, it dawned on me recently, I was studying um, these three chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And it's all about spiritual gifts, 
But as Paul transitions to talk about it, he doesn't just say spiritual gifts. Notice in, in verse 4, he says, variety of gifts, same spirit. Then he says, a variety of services, of service for the same Lord, and varieties of activities. But God empowers them, them all. Gifts, services, activities. Basically, he's saying, everything that you're given comes from God. And what are you supposed to do with everything that you've been given? Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So before he even gets into, these are the spiritual gifts, he gives a, a little bit of a list, and this is how they work within the local church. He just lays a foundation of every single thing you have, all the activities, all the services, all the gifts, this is what you're supposed to do with it. Focus it on the common good. And the common good here is within their local church. Um, yes, it applies generally, but it first starts within God's community. Just take everything you have and love each other with it. Instead of just saying, okay, how are people going to love me? You know, this, these people aren't meeting my needs. So how many times have you heard that? I left that church. Why? They weren't meeting my needs. That's not how you develop a loving community. That's not what the Spirit empowers you to do. The Spirit empowers you to use all the different faculties that He's given you to love other people. And it will have an effect on other people. And I think one of, there are a lot of lessons to learn when loving other people. But I think that one of the hardest ones for people to learn is it will take a tremendous amount of endurance. You're going to have to love longer than you think to get the results, to get half the results that you expected. <laughs> it's like, it's going to take a lot of endurance and a lot of grace with people. Recently, I went hiking with my family. Uh, it was fall, and we're like, oh, the, the leaves in New England, are, it's stunning. If you can ever go to New England uh, in autumn, it's just the best. It's just beautiful. So we go to Coventry, Rhode Island. We've never been there before. We heard that there, you know, we found this place that we could go on a hike, and we started on a loop. My wife and her six kids, we started a loop. Now, I did not realize that the loop was a three-mile loop until about halfway, because I saw a sign. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, because I looked at my watch, and I looked at the time, and I'm like, we have a, a mile and a half to go to finish the loop, and then it's like another half mile to get out, okay? We have two miles to go. We need to book it. So we start walking fast and fast and fast. Anyway, like we're trying to, and it's like, it's walking, hiking with kids is not fast, okay? <laughs> and the sun starts to go down and it starts to get dark. And first we lose light. It's pitch black. So we get out our phones and 
a few of the kids are just done walking, so I picked up a few of the kids, and my, my eldest is holding the phone, and we're trying to follow the path, and we're looking at the the, these marks in the trees, so we're looking at the trees, the marks in the trees, to, and she's yelling out blue, because the marks were blue, 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 okay, we're trying, so first we lose light, and then we lose the path. In the middle of the forest, and it's like, the forest is not like, Iowa forest, where the trees are like really far apart, it's like, we're in the jungle. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's a different kind of forest. We're off the path, pitch dark. So, thankfully, Sasha's phone's still at battery, mine had died. And we pick up the GPS, and we say, there's a, okay, there's a highway in that direction. So we start walking in that direction, and we start trudging through. I guess that in that part of the forest, it was like a marsh. So it's like we start going up to like our shin in mud. And like, it's like the kids are crying. And, and then I, I have one child who's like more of an optimist. She's like, this is kind of fun. And, like, and then another kid is like, it is not fun. Okay. And then we eventually we just give up and we call 911. And they send like seven vehicles on the highway and their sirens are going. And they have us on GPS and we and they're like, you're going the wrong way. And we're like, there was a huge tree there. We couldn't go straight. We had a okay. It took, I think it was like, my wife can remember the details, but it's like four or five hours to get to when we were in the, the forest, okay? I think two to three hours, like when it was pitch dark trudging along, sludging in the mud, okay? Loving people <laughs> will sometimes feel like that. And I'm not joking. It's like, it will be hard. It will be hard to love people. And it will be hard to be in community. And it will be hard to receive input from someone that is 99% wrong, but they're 1% right on this, and they're bringing it up to you. It will be hard. But this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. This is how we're going to end the conference. It's not on the slide. Let's end with our nose in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. start in verse 4. Very famous passage. But instead of, you know, applying it to like your spouse, which is what typically happens, this is what, you know, you read when you get married or something. Apply it to the people around you. The people to your right or to your left. There are the people that weren't able to make it to this retreat. The people you're trying to do life with. This is what it says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I want to take a highlighter to that right before it says love never ends. Endures all things things. 
and living out this Christian life and loving God and obeying His commands and loving His mission and reaching the world and having love as a motive for everything you do as you go about your vocation and as you go about with your family and your church and as you receive counsel from other people and as the Holy Spirit produces desires within you it is a beautiful picture but it does not mean it's going to be easy it's beautiful it's inspiring who wouldn't want to be a part of it but it's not going to be easy love will need to endure and there are going to become there are going to become times there will be times that as a Christian you're like did I make the wrong choice? There are going to be times where you make a sacrifice and you're like, was this the right sacrifice? Did I make the right sacrifice? And you need to consider the one who endured for you. All those things that listen love, yes, we need to pursue them, but someone has already pursued them for us and given us the perfect example for them. He endured the cross for us. He endured this life for us. He endured death for us. And he continues to endure for us. Praying before the Father for us. Empowering us by the Spirit. I wouldn't want to be faithful to us, but he does. Because he loves us. And love endures. And when it's hard, you set your sights on him. Because he's the one who makes it worth it. All of these things, if you look at the back of your packet, there's like a summary picture. Okay? And the reason for that is I wanted all of this to pass the napkin test. Okay? And the napkin test is this. Can you sit in a coffee shop with somebody and say, oh, let me just draw this on a napkin for you draw a triangle and the three corners you have three perspectives and the, the three sides, you have the three fronts and then you have the heart in the middle of your desires and you have counsel and the Holy Spirit speaking into them. You can, you can draw that out for somebody and then share verses with them. But if you do that you better present it in such a way and I hope you do you better present it in such a way that all of this it's not just a way to have your best life now and three easy steps. It's all to love Him and endure for Him because He has been so immensely gracious with us. Let's pray. Father, we don't deserve You. You've given us another year that we do not deserve. And we pray that this will be a year that you take more territory in our hearts, you may take more territory in our lives, and not just our lives in an individual way, but our lives in a community. I pray that we would be humble, that we would link arms with the people around us to do something on the campuses that we're going back to and the families that we're a part of and the cities that we're a part of and the churches that we're a part of. But we do it forever out of a love for you. 
and a zeal for you. And that we would offer a reasonable sacrifice of gratitude to you. If you found this encouraging, we hope you'll subscribe or follow for more content. Or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Campus Fellowship is a student organization whose goal is to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. Thanks for listening.